This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is June 6, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Heather Cohen, and I was there from 94 to 98. Okay, and what shows and programs did you work on at the station? I worked on the Morning Wake Up Call and the Jazz Cafe, Newsline, the Classics from Hofstra, uh, Election Night Coverage, probably a few others. Okay. Okay. Did you hold any titles or positions at the station? Yes. Uh, I started as assistant news director and then news director, program operations director, and then station manager for two years. Okay. Um, when you were on the air, did you use your own name? Did you have any nicknames or aliases? It was my own name. I was. Ne- I, I never came up with anything more creative than that. <laughs> okay. I'm sure, I'm sure it worked very well. Um, so, Let's go back to the beginning. Um, I'm always curious, what is it that brings people to Hofstra Radio? And then if you could describe for people who weren't there at the same time, what was the station like? Maybe if you remember people that you met, what did it smell like? What was going on when you first arrived at Hofstra Radio? Well, I arrived in 94 and uh, September of 94, and that's when Bruce Avery started. Uh, we, We were still in the basement of Memorial Hall, and uh, I tell this story often, but uh, Bruce, w- we, we literally ran into each other outside of Adam's Playhouse, and, and he was telling me about the radio station and, and all of these plans and moving into, at the time, Dempster Hall. And he said, wow, we have, we have a lot of moving to do. We could certainly use some help. Why don't you come down to the basement of Memorial Hall? I'll introduce you to some of the other students and and DJs, and um, I think you'd really like it and and help us with the move. So I did that, and I just have so many memories of carrying boxes and boxes and boxes. Usually, Generally, they were records Mm -hmm. uh, over to, again, at the time, Dempster Hall, Uh, Now it's, of course, the Lawrence Herbert School of Communication, and we moved into these spectacularly beautiful studios. But one thing that I have to say, even on that first day going down to the basement, I felt so comfortable with everyone. I felt included and welcome and part of something immediately. It it was just, it was very cool. I, I knew right away these were going to be my friends I was going to get involved. I wanted to get involved. Everyone just seemed to to deeply care about really this mission. Um, It's just something that I've I've never forgotten. And I still feel so very involved and and attached to WRHU, proud of it, proud of all the, the great students that are a part of it now who have come out of it, certainly. Um, it's one of a kind and, you know, look at, look at it now, WRHU, four Marconi awards in an eight year span. I mean, talk about remarkable. Mm-hmm. It's very impressive. It's very impressive indeed. Um, I want to go back to that meeting that, that, that run in you had with, with Bruce Avery. Was that in the fall of 1994? What time of year, yes. what was going on that, that, that you guys ran into each other? Yeah. Fall of 94. And it was, it was literally a few days into the, my first semester, um, and my, my mother was a professor at Hofstra. So, uh, that was, you know, part of, of the strong appeal going to the university. I, I had done, I had done high school radio and loved, you know, my, my three years doing that, that was spectacular, but I didn't necessarily think about 
immediately joining the radio station at Hofstra that for whatever reason, that wasn't actually top of mind. And of course, after meeting with Bruce, that was very much top of mind. And it, I mean, I, fortunately I have a career as a result and many, many wonderful close friends as a result. Um, and I'm constantly back on campus. I, in fact, I was on campus Friday for uh, Michael Harrison's talkers conference um, and saw so many students. Bruce certainly had a way of convincing people to, uh, to get involved. Oh, he did. He just had, you know, this giant warm smile and, you know, made you feel just relaxed and welcome immediately. And, and really that you were a part of something much bigger than yourself, something deeply important, something that included the community, which was always very important to me. Um, what a place to get not only a, a college education, you know, from Hofstra, but a hands-on education in radio, in audio, and now I have a career as a result. It's hmm. uh, I, I am forever grateful for what I learned from Bruce and Sue Zizza and Michelle Lisi and Ed Ingalls and, and many others. Hmm. There, there's it's, no place like WRHU. Hmm. That is for sure. Um, and and I, I definitely want to get a little bit more into the details of, of your helping move from Memorial Hall into, into the new building, as I still call it. Uh, <laughs> I can't get past that. Um, but I want to go back a little bit further. And do you mind telling me a little bit about your high school radio station? And uh, you said you didn't really necessarily have an expectation of, of joining Hofstra Radio, but you were aware that there was a station? I was aware, but but it really, as I said, it wasn't top of mind for whatever reason. Um, yes, I, I there was actually a radio station in the basement of my high school. Um, I did not know that. Uh, I walked down the hall, and also I, I, I met the um, the teacher and uh, signed up for the radio class and played some Pearl Jam and Metallica and Guns N' Roses, and you know realized pretty quickly that. I wasn't necessarily very good on the air, but I enjoyed the atmosphere. I loved the energy. Um, and even when I when I went to WRHU and I went through the, the first ever training class, I also knew quickly that, that I was not destined to be on the air. There were so many people that were just so much more talented in that area. But again, I, I loved walking down the halls. I wanted to learn everything possible from, you know, board opping to production. At the time we had multi-track studios. I, I wanted to face my fears. It did intimidate me. Uh, certainly being on air truly intimidated me, hmm. uh, even running the board. But every time I did a shift, I felt like I would conquer a certain fear. And it really gave me tremendous confidence. I think I think WRHU combined with, uh, I did speech and debate, uh, the Hofstra forensics team. I did that for a few years. You know, j just being able to get up and speak in public and conquering that fear and it really no longer being intimidating. I mean, that was a tremendous gift that, that I got while at Hofstra. Um, and it's really, it's the radio station and the forensics team, you know, giving me the courage. Uh, but, but, you know, it was, it was interesting because I loved, I loved having a position at the time on the administrative board and then eventually on the executive board. 
Um, and really, I mean, I was involved, you know, almost from day one at Hofstra as a freshman through my graduation uh, and, and really never, never skipped a beat, never separated myself from, from WRHU, just the friendships that were developed. I mean, lifelong friendships, it's, it's almost its own sorority or fraternity. Mm-hmm. You know, when I get a phone call from John Mullen, for example, saying, Hey, Heather, there's a student that I think is really remarkable. Would you speak to so-and-so from the sports department? Absolutely. Let's get it on the calendar. You know, it's when a student's graduating and needs some assistance finding a position or, you know, what what gives me a lot of joy, I will very often get a phone call from someone in the broadcast business saying, hey, I, I know that you're involved with Hofstra. I know that Hofstra students and recent graduates are incredible. I'm looking for so-and-so, you know, for such a position, I have a position in the marketing department or the production department or engineering or on air or as a writer. I get those phone calls more and more often. Um, I'm actually having lunch in a few weeks with, with a young lady that I didn't know before, but I did receive a phone call from, from a, an organization looking for a Hofstra student. And, and since then, we've become friendly. So I love getting those phone calls. I, I have so much pride um, in that the industry knows how great this university is, how great the Lawrence Herbert School is, and how great WRHU is. And, and obviously, the television program is absolutely remarkable as well. But what other university station does professional hockey games, does professional right. as a professional team? That, that they broadcast. Um, you just get more in this establishment than you truly can get anywhere else. And um, honestly, I enjoy spreading the word and and just seeing, you know, the, the constant growth. When I go to Hofstra events, I, I love listening to, uh, to the new president, to Dr. Poser, um, or to Dean Lukashevitz just say, hey, we just won this award and that award and this Gracie and this Marconi. And it, it, the list goes on and on. And um, I think we're all very proud. Hmm. You mentioned the words uh, fraternity and sorority earlier, and obviously the WRHU Hofstra Radio is not that. And I often use the word community, and some people use family. I wish there was a there was a more accurate word than those things. It's kind of a combination of them to describe what it is that Hofstra Radio has meant to people over the last sixty odd years. But but I think I think you're hitting on something that that network of people coming in and making connections and then going out into the larger world and bringing that with them. Um, yeah, I don't really have a question. I just, I just wanted to remark on that because it seems like you and so many other people carry that sense of um, community and responsibility with you into your professional lives. Well, I think, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for others, but for myself, I'm so grateful that I was given the tools um, at such a very young age that gave me just, you know, this advantage stepping out into the industry. I, I was fortunate to start working full time at WOR 7, 10 a.m. in New York the day after I graduated. Mm. And that is because of, of the tools that I was given. So I feel like I, I almost owe something to the station and to the future of the station. I want to give back. It's, 
it's just a natural reaction for me to want to help bring up the future because I was given so much. Um, you know who I saw on Friday, Lee Harris, who he's a client. Um, he's also a very dear friend of mine. And, and Lee spent nearly 30 years doing mornings on 1010 wins in New York. Yeah. And he just announced weeks ago that he was leaving to go over in uh, a, to a manage, managerial position, a wonderful managerial position at News Nation. And, you know, really just to experience something else. But it, it took a lot to get him to leave 1010 Wins Mornings um, as, as one of our nation's most, you know, listened to and absolutely adored news people. Uh, but now he has this remarkable new, new opportunity. Lee will never miss a major WRHU event. Mm -hmm. He was just at the Hall of Fame inductions. Lee is a very busy man, but this, I think the same thing for him. He, he was part of, uh, it's before it was, it was called WRHU. It had different call letters, but he was part of one of our classes of, of this radio station and something brings him back all the time. And, um, and that's just the type of commitment. I, I think that the, those that have run the station over the years did so much for the students and mm -hmm. for the community volunteers. And, you know, it, it's, there's, it's like a magnet. <laughs> we, we can't, we, we don't want to break free. We, we want right. to be a part of the future. I wouldn't, how do you feel about that, Brian? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's, you know, time and, and, uh, location sometimes makes us drift away, but, but we come back to it and all these people, uh, I've spoken to 150 people about this radio station and it's uniform throughout that people just have this attachment and this sense of, uh, love for the station and the community. And that, and that, that goes back. And I think it's just, it's just been such a wonderful opportunity and that's been passed down from Jeff Krause and Sue Zizza and Bruce Avery and John Mullen. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just passed down through all the people, but I want to go back again, going on that idea of fraternity and sorority. So you're mentioning you're, you're moving all these crates of records and things from Memorial Hall. It seems like kind of a hazing uh, <laughs> opportunity, like, uh, hey, hey, you know, you're new here. Help us move a bunch of stuff. And yet, and yet you, you got roped into doing this and it wasn't necessarily your plan, but you're doing this and you're spending time. And I want to go back to a bit of like, what was the environment like going into the old building at Memorial Hall in the basement? What do you remember about what was still there and... And uh, what was it like going into the new place? You know, I just remember it was so dusty. I'm having ter terrible allergies as I speak with you, but whew, that was one giant allergy attack anytime mm -hmm. I would go down there. <laughs> but uh, it was colorful. It was, there were records everywhere, posters everywhere. You could tell that the student managers took their roles very, very seriously. I remember the music director's desk and... It was just a total mess, but yet, you know, everything was in place at the same time. It It's it's everything that you would imagine, you know, of a great university station, but, but beyond a great university station, but then stepping into Dempster Hall and at the time, just this state of the art, clean, beautiful, sparkling studio with equipment that I didn't even understand what it was. And um, 
and today that equipment is obviously so antiquated. Right. But it just it felt like we have this professional station at our university that probably any New York City radio station would love to have these facilities. And I just thought this is going to give me tools that I need to get through my life. And it did, you know, having the responsibility of being on the executive board, I I was, I was paid to do what I loved every day. I I didn't need to be paid, but I was, Mm -hmm. I was honored to come in and help whether it was with scheduling, whether it was planning election night coverage, making sure that that news line, uh, the daily newscast was, was fully staffed and, and moving the way it should move, whether it was getting students to conferences, um, planning big events, making sure everybody got paid, dealing with personnel, dealing with promotions, uh, dealing with the, the, the business team, dealing with programming. All of a sudden, I had responsibilities that I can't imagine another student having mm-hmm. outside of that radio station. And... I was prepared. When I started my internship, I interned at WOR in my senior year. I think they fully expected that I would come in and get coffee and and that sort of thing. I was splicing tape on on an Otari. That's how we we used to splice tape, of course, Mm -hmm. on wheels at the time. Now students students graduating or, or coming into Hofstra, they may not even know what that looks like. But I would literally be cutting tape with a razor blade in order to edit. Um, and I knew exactly how to do that. And I did it fairly well. And I just saw David Bernstein, who was my first program director. I saw him at Fri- on Friday, also at Michael Harrison's Talkers. And of course, Michael is involved with, with uh, WRHU and with Hofstra. And he's one of our, our great, great, great broadcasters. And, uh, and of course, he, he has a, a huge trade magazine and is so well thought of and regarded in in the talk radio world and responsible for so very much. By the way, he put me on my first panel ever. I was in my early 20s. I was uh, producing at WOR at the time. And literally, I think maybe I was assistant program director, but put me on my first panel ever. And I thought, who is this guy? He has confidence in me to be on a panel. And uh, that gave me such courage as well. And I'll never forget that. And he's become family over the years. Um, but, uh, but, uh, this, this station is, it's home. Mm -hmm. I, you know, Brian, it's, it's given us the tools that we can succeed where just as I went to WOR and got this internship and I could really do anything they were asking me for. And David Bernstein who I mentioned was at Talkers, he hired me because he knew that I had the tools from Hofstra University and from WRHU. And we are just on the map in this industry. Radio, and I have to say audio, podcast, streaming, they know that those that studied at Hofstra and those that went through the radio program especially have incredible knowledge. And they're getting very well-trained individuals, potentially, you know, who may be years advanced mm-hmm. um, to some others. So, you know, that that's, that's, I think, what you get and what the industry expects from, from those coming out of the school. 
So let's get back to the beginning of your time at Hofstra. Two questions. What did you plan to study as your major or your field? And then two, let's talk about training at Hofstra Radio. How did you learn how to do all the things that uh, Hofstra taught you how to do? So um, when I went to Hofstra, I, I wanted to study psychology. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew nothing about psychology, by the way. But, you know, you read a book or two and you think, oh, this, this sounds interesting. I could probably do that. I like people. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but that changed immediately. And, you know, your first semester you take, you know, very entry level English and, and history and writing and things like that. Um, and, and just being part of the radio station, literally like as of week two uh, or week three, I very quickly pivoted to uh, an audio radio major and I ended up doing a dual major in audio radio and speech communication and rhetorical studies. Wow. Okay. And, um, you know, I just, I just knew that I wanted to work at a station. Um, did I ever imagine that I would go into programming? Absolutely not. Did I ever imagine that I would become an agent one day? Not in a million years, but it all happened to me. And, um, <laughs> you know, just the, this, the station manager experience was truly, truly remarkable. But when I graduated, uh, I started as a board operator uh, at WOR and uh, trained on all but two of the shows, uh, Monday through Friday shows, I should say. Um, and then very quickly, there was a producer opening. And again, David Bernstein, the program director, he's like, look, I, I really like you. Um, the host is a little bit nervous. At the time, we used to say Rolodex. You don't have a Rolodex. Mm-hmm. You're a recent grad. You don't have the contacts. You don't know the publicist. This is a very celebrity-driven type show. And um, we're going to put you on probation. Of course, you know, about a year ago, he said to me, you know, there wasn't actually a real probation. I said, David, I thought I was on this three or four month probation. Uh No, no, no. I made that up. David. Um, But I remember him telling me, he said, you know, you don't have to tell anyone how old you are and and wear a blazer, wear a blazer to work. And I did. And and it's interesting because I always, even in high school radio, I always dressed for the job that I wanted, not the job that I had. Always. Um. And I think that helped as well. But uh, but yeah, I, I quickly, within a few months, became a producer at WOR and then an executive producer and then eventually assistant program director. Um, and then in my last year, I was in programming um, and I loved every second of it. However, uh, there was a women's radio network and they kept calling and they really wanted their head of programming. Um, honestly, I think they wanted a woman. I really do. And they just kept calling. And I, I kept saying, I, I love my job. I love WOR. This is my family. I don't ever want to leave this. Uh, but they just kept coming back for about half a year and literally made me an offer that I couldn't refuse. And I went to you know some of my greatest mentors in the industry, um, including Michael Harrison, actually, and said, what should I do here? I love every day of my work at WOR. I, I can't imagine leaving. And they said, you have to go and, and almost treat it as a PhD. And it may or may not work, but go and learn the network business, meet other people. You'll be by coastal. 
um, go and experience this. And, and it was, uh, it was a network that, you know, right concept, wrong time, hmm. incredible people involved from Jane Fonda to Gloria Steinem to David Kennedy to Susan Ness, the former FCC commissioner to, um, Edie Hilliard, Nancy Vaith Dubroth, just some great broadcasting names. Uh, but it was a lifestyle entertainment oriented network. It was not political. Um, and we were around for two years. So I joined them about six months in. And unfortunately, uh, we went under a year and a half after I was there. Um, what I was, I was very, very blessed because it was still 2007. So there were still jobs and I joined my current boss and hopefully my only boss, you know, for the rest of my life, uh, Eric Weiss and the Weiss agency, uh, it was three weeks after Greenstone went under. Um, so there you go. It's quite a journey for you. And considering earlier in our conversation, you said that you were very nervous about speaking publicly and getting behind the board and, and things <laughs> like that. It's, 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 it's quite a journey of, of growth and, and opportunity. Um, going back to those Hofstra days, do you remember getting on the air the first time? Yes. Uh, well, actually, I'm not sure if the first time was Newsline or the morning wake up call. I believe it was the morning wake up call. And uh, it was, I guess I was doing news and weather. I think mainly, no, I was doing weather and traffic. I was terrified. Mm. Absolutely terrified. And then I remember Newsline. And, you know, having to put together, and I had, oh, Dave Mock, God rest his soul. Mm -hmm. Dave Mock was my news director. He gave me so much confidence. Dave was at the CBS News Net, uh, Network for many years after Hofstra. He was a remarkable leader. Dave was just this brilliant, kind news director who wanted me to shine. He wanted everyone to shine. And he taught me how to rip stories off the AP and how to put a newscast together and even, you know, how, how to read the news and how to present myself. I was a nervous wreck. I didn't want to let him down, even though he was so kind and, and generous. He, you know, never gave off that, that feeling, but I didn't want to let him down. I was so nervous to mispronounce something, to skip a beat. Um, but he made me very comfortable as did Paul, Paul Cardella, Paul, I think, was the assistant news director at the time. He, of mm -hmm. course, then became station manager and brought me up to be station manager after him. Um, I just had some great mentors in the building, and they made it comfortable. But I will tell you, what probably made me the most nervous was sitting behind the board and doing a shift by myself, whether it was the classics from Hofstra or the Jazz Cafe but having to basically press all the buttons mm -hmm. and, you know, get the turntable going and, uh, you know, deal with, um, you know, different announcements and PSAs and things like that. And, and just making sure that I kept the station on air. I was so terrified that I would take the station off air. Oh, my goodness. And then there was always the fear. Would I have enough time to run to the ladies room? Mm-hmm. By the way, I never got over that. At WOR, um, at the time, I was the only female board op. And I will not lie, there were times I had to go to the men's room. Why did I have to go to the men's room? Because 
the facility was so old that the ladies room was actually outside of the stations. So you had a men's room within the perimeter, but you had to leave the facility, go past the elevators and, and straight ahead, there were, there was a ladies room. I couldn't necessarily make it back in a three or four minute break all the way down to studio one. And by the way, right now I'm looking in my office up at the wall and I have the studio one on air sign that was removed and, and the chief engineer, Tom Ray, gave it to me when WOR, after you know almost 80 years, I believe, left 1440 Broadway and moved down to 111 Broadway. And mm. I framed it and I'm so proud to look at Studio One on air uh, where I started my career as a board op. That's uh, that's a nice memento to have for sure, and yeah. and I think I think that's that's a common story in radio, no matter where you are. Um, when we were in Memorial Hall, we had uh, we were downhill from the men's room, which occasionally would would overflow or flood. And I was trying to think about this and have a conversation. I don't remember where the ladies' room was in Memorial Hall. I, 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 oh, I don't I, either. But I was there no, for such a short time. I mean, I was only right. there for weeks, literally weeks. Right. But I, I don't recall where that was. <laughs> yeah, but we, you know, there was it was a it was a hazard to have that, you know, the, down the down the ramp from from the main on air studio. But it's always a thing that you've you've got to you know make a run or make a sprint and 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 make that happen. But it's it sounds like you got pretty comfortable at WRHU right away. Is that fair to say that you made friends and you felt comfortable in the environment pretty quickly? Oh, so quickly. I mean, everyone just. You know, they, they they inspired me and gave me courage. And it was just this feeling of you can do it. We are doing it. Everyone wanted to, in my experience, while I was there, prop each other up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sometimes was there a little bickering here and there? Of course, naturally. By the time I was, I was station manager, we had a few hundred people on staff. I mean, it was... I remember being a part of writing that first, uh, the first book for, for the training class, um, along with Bruce and, and Sue and, you know, just, just putting things together. We very quickly had, you know, a few hundred people. And, and when I say community, you know, we, we, ha- we were involved on weekends. We had community volunteers. Every community that you could imagine on Long Island was involved mm-hmm. and it was wonderful. And we would do these remote broadcasts. Um, I remember, you know, going to, to uh, pubs and, and, and just interesting stores and, and doing remotes for our community volunteers, helping board op them, helping promote them. It, it was so special to be part of the island and, and part of, again, something that was so much bigger than myself. And, uh, and you know what? I see a theme because I, I've been an agent now for 16 years. So, so I'm part of the Weiss Agency. I'm based in New York. My team is in L.A. And we're very fortunate um, to represent many of the leaders in, in the broadcast business, in the audio business, um, in, in every, every genre of, of audio, uh, whether it's news, talk, sports, urban, AC, hot AC, uh, top 40 country. I mean, I can go on and on. Um, but, but, you know, leaders in the industries from, from Nick Cannon to Angela Yee, uh, to Lee Harris that I mentioned before, um, we, we represent people and I find this common thread of these wonderful people. They give back so much to their communities. Many of them are involved 
with their universities, with their university stations. Many of them were part of university stations. Uh, but they, there's just this thread, uh, especially I noticed with radio people, of giving back and trying to bring up the future and making sure that we have our farm team, we have our bench. That is so important. And, you know, I, I have I have concerns because when I was coming up, and, and probably you as well, there there was a promotions team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might have a part-time promotions person who ended up as your night jock, who ended up as your midday jock, who ended up as your morning show host. And, and that was part of the farm team and developing the future. And unfortunately, and especially with COVID, a lot of those internships have gone away. A lot of, you know, we don't always see the promotion van anymore. Um, a lot of positions have been eliminated and it's just so important. And, and that's what I see, especially WRHU alums involved with giving back and bringing up our future and making sure that this industry has some superstars um, that will, you know, just continue to grow and grow and make us all proud and make sure that we have a very bright future. Hmm. I, I think the, the forward looking philosophy is, is a rather constant in the history of radio. And, and today radio seems to many people to be antiquated or old fashioned, or there's, there's, there's other things that are happening, but radio has always been forward-looking and advancing and trying new technologies. And even in the time that you were an undergrad at the radio station, you, you walk into this brand new facility with all these new pieces of equipment. And within a couple of years, there are upgrades and, and switching over to DATs and, and new kinds of boards yeah. and all kinds of things like that. There's Maybe all these opportunities. Yeah. There's all these opportunities to look forward. And even though, uh, you know, some of those positions, as you mentioned, at, at commercial radio stations may have dried up uh, temporarily, I think there's always, for, for those of us who love radio and, and have worked in it and, and believe in it, I think there's always opportunities for new things. And, you know, when we were undergraduates, mm-hmm. uh, who would have thought that there would have been streaming channels mm-hmm. for multiple, you know, sports events and other forms of broadcasting? Who would have thought... You know, in that basement of Memorial Hall, that's the way it was going. But Jeff Krause had a vision of where he wanted to take the station, and he set the wheels in motion for that. And Sue Zizza and Bruce Avery took that on, and then uh, on through the generations. I think I think there's a forward-looking way. I don't know where it's going. I'm not smart enough to figure those things out. But I think you and other people can uh, can find a way to take this talent that's at the station now and and push it to the next level. And I see that happening. I, I, I'm looking at some recent grads and they're just soaring and, and promotion after promotion. I mean, it's happening. And, and look, audio is, I, I am very optimistic for the future of radio and audio. And it is still the most intimate medium. We all remember 9-11. Mm-hmm. Radio was our best friend. Radio kept us connected in some of the most terrifying moments of our lives. The blackout. Mm-hmm. Radio was our best friend. Hurricanes, floods, tornadoes. You know, I, I went through on the island Hurricane Irene and Hurricane Sandy, and it was was terrified. You know, my my own home was hit. Certainly not as badly as so many others. It was devastating. But it, it was hit and radio 
you know, kept me sane and kept me on top of, of what I needed to do and, and what was coming next. And very often that host that you hear becomes your best friend, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your brother, your father, your mother. They are your companion at sometimes the most scariest times of life. And, you know, when I think of, that's why I'm also, I, I know that I could never be as entertaining or informative as, you know, honestly, the hosts that I represent today, but radio hosts are the greatest storytellers. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're in a studio three or four hours a day talking and, so, and maybe never seeing who you're talking to. And you are creating this image. You are creating this fantasy. You are literally developing this story, sharing news, sharing information, being entertaining, hopefully. Um, That is a very powerful thing to do. And those that can do that, especially, you know, obviously people prep, but to speak for that many hours unscripted most often that is one of the greatest talents that i could ever imagine it is and and it's a gift to us as listeners and i listen to audio all day and night Mm -hmm. there's always audio in the background people make fun of me you know you don't know that television show no between you know listening to audio all day long and having a three-year-old and a six-year-old I'm, I, you know, th- there's some cartoons that I'm familiar with. I mm-hmm, will say that, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I, I love the companionship and the intimacy and the power of, I'll say audio, but I sure still love radio. Yeah. I've had a number of conversations with, uh, with people like Dave Plotkin and, and uh, Jared Greenberg and a few other people who uh, in talking about, coverage of 9-11 at, at WRHU and, and other events, that there's something about the people that go into radio or, or audio now that are drawn to these events. And, and what do you do during a crisis or a hurricane? You run to work or you run to the radio station because you want to help or contribute mm-hmm. in some way. And then there's that that special talent of being able, able to walk into a studio and have nothing prepped at all. And yeah. you're on the air for three hours. Go. And some of it is training and some of it is instinct and some of it is experience, but um, these talented people find a way to do that. And I'm so glad that you said all those wonderful things about, about uh, people in this business and, uh, and people who've come through Hofstra radio over the generations, because I think, uh, you know, we recognize it, but it's worth saying, I think it's worth recognizing. Oh, it certainly is. And, and, you know, I, I, when I talk to the talent that I represent, you know, the word responsibility comes up very often hmm. where they feel a responsibility to the audience. You know, it's it's a deep connection. Again, even though maybe they only see people a few times a year at remotes and, and station events, but it is it is this loyalty that goes both ways. It's the loyalty from from the listener and it's the loyalty that the host has um, to the community. And it's, it's a very special, unique connection. Hmm. Obviously, radio and this Hofstra radio community means so much to you. You're so involved and, and you've carried these friendships and relationships and experience with you through 
all these years, but I want to, I want to time travel. I want to ask you to go back to your shoes at 18 years old. You're a freshman on the campus of Hofstra university and you run into Bruce Avery at that moment. If you can, if you can put yourself in those shoes, what did you think Hofstra radio was going to be? What did you think Bruce Avery was pulling you into at that moment? I imagine that I'd, you know, be playing music as a DJ, talking up my favorite songs and making some friends. Never did I think when I, I mean, I can picture talking to Bruce hmm. in front of Adam's Playhouse. I, I can literally picture that moment. And I was, I was 17 and I was wearing a boot. Uh, I had a little injury and I never thought that I'd make my best friends in life. I never thought I, I got married while I was at Hofstra and, you know, half the station was at my wedding. Um, I, I never thought that it would just be so deep in my blood, the love of this industry. But that's, I mean, being taught leadership at such a young age. I mean, go, let's go back to the word responsibility. I felt responsible for hundreds of people. And I felt this weight of, I need to do right by them and I can't mess this up. And I learned so very much. I mean, imagine having a professional in residence and he came towards the end, but uh, an Ed Ingalls, mm -hmm. you know, imagine the leaders, you know, Sue a teaching me how to do multi-track. It's remarkable. And I still have so many friends. I remember Joe Ramore was in my, my multi-track class. Uh, Joe, you know, I, I still talk to him every few months. I talked to so many people that I came up with at WRHU. And again, back to that, I know it's not the right term, but the sorority or fraternity, that was mm -hmm. my sorority. That was, these are the people that I'm loyal to. Well, I, you know, I fortunately I have, I have lots of people I'm loyal to, but but somebody from WRHU who calls me, you know, I, I want to help. I, I feel like I owe it to them. We came up together. We were in something remarkable together. And, you know, I, I look at Sean Novat. Sean Novat is, is running Nassau Community College's mm -hmm. radio station and doing remarkable things. His station was nominated for a Marconi this year as well. Hofstra won. Mm -hmm. But next year, I'm feeling like Sean should get this. <laughs> um, but Sean, I remember. So talk about talk about family. Uh, I went. I, I knew. I went to his wife's third birthday party. I remember getting a Smurfette balloon um, in Queens. Her family then moved to Plainview, where I grew up. Uh, our parents are friends. Sean grew up in the same town. Sean. And I did did a, a radio together at our high school. He, I did not know he was coming for a tour of Hofstra. He, uh, he was a year behind me. I was doing news that day. I think I was the assistant news director at the time. He was coming through with his mother, who, by the way, was my Weight Watchers person. She was my Weight Watchers coach. Um, talk about a small world, right? Mm -hmm. And walks through the halls and says, Heather, what are you doing here? And I say, Sean, what are you doing here? Well, I'm looking at colleges. And I said, well, you're not looking at any more colleges. This is where you're going and you're going to do the radio station. You will apply to join the radio station and you're going to love every second of it. And of course, Sean ended up being station manager after me, mm -hmm. uh, worked at WOR with me. 
Um, he has been in radio ever since, and now he's running a beautiful station himself. Uh, we just all grew up together, and, and, and it's fun because um, Sean has twins, and uh, my kids and my husband and I went over to his home uh, with his wife, Jackie, and, and had dinner there a few weeks ago. These are, long, these are lifelong friendships. A couple of minutes ago when you mentioned Suziza and and the the word home came to mind when I talked to her about George Berger being inducted. And I said, mm-hmm. I said, what do you think W Hofstra Radio meant to George? And she said it was his home. That's right. And I think that's the thing we've been sort of circling around fraternity or community or family. It's it's our home for so many of yes. us. I think that's what it comes down to. Uh, you know, I walked through the station this past week. It's still, it's, I still feel this excitement to be there. Even after all these years, um, it, it was home. It is home. And the students there, whether they know it or not, they, they are extended family. Um, it was a tremendous, tremendous gift. And uh, I know it sounds crazy, but it's just, it's something unique that you only feel if you've gone through it. A training program like that, everything from, you know, from FCC law to, you know, the basics of, of, you know, what to do in the studio, hands-on experience, you come out well-trained. And, and, you know, what I've learned is audio, radio, it's a big business from sales to promotions to programming to the business office and accounting to on-air talent. Um there are so many different places that you can, you know, be a part of a radio station. It, it's not like everybody goes out and says, I want to, you know, be on air. I, I meet plenty of WRHU students who look at me and say, I want to be an engineer hmm. or, you know, I want to read news. Honestly, going back to an earlier question that I probably didn't answer appropriately, I, I did for a moment wonder if I wanted to read news. I love news. Um, I, 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 for a moment there, I thought maybe I want to read news. But then when I stepped foot into WOR with, you know, I, I was blessed to, to produce Joan Hamburg, who, by the way, is on WABC now, but to produce one of the greatest voices in all of New York for seven and a half years, um, and, and she's now she's my client actually. Um, but you know, became another mom to me, uh, you know, to work with Joan Rivers, the Dolans, uh, Dr. Joy Brown, God rest her soul. Um, you know, Joey Reynolds and Lionel and Michael Savage and Bob Grant and the gamblings, uh, uh, uh John R. Gambling, Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. It was just this star studded station and, and to be 21 and working there full time, I just kept pinching myself. Like, how did this just happen to me? And then, you know, booking every celebrity and former president and, and great author and, and great sports, you know, personality, anyone that you could imagine being able to book those those people and and you know prep and read their books and and see the shows on Broadway that they were in it was such a beautiful job and but then the magic of what came out over the speakers the magic of 
what those interviews ended up being like. And Joan is one of the, the greatest storytellers of our time, period. I mean, hands down. And to now, you know, represent so many people on WOR and, and so many stations in New York and, and LA and other major markets and, and a ton of syndication. Um, Casey Kasem was the first client to our to our company. That's before I joined. Uh, but the people we represent, I mean, so many of them I grew up listening to. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I, I was I was the weird kid. So I'm looking at Brian, you'll feel like this. I'm looking at a strawberry shortcake radio. Wow. So my uncle Al D'Amico was on WOR radio when I was six years old. I wore penny loafers. I was in first grade and I would go out at recess. And of course, when you're in first grade, you don't understand top of the hour and bottom of the hour. But I knew that sometimes at certain recesses, my uncle Al D'Amico would do the news on the radio on WOR. And my little girlfriends, Julie and Karen, would go out with me because they thought it was really cool that I had a, an uncle on the radio. And I had a strawberry shortcake radio. And I remember um, Robin Bertolucci, who's one of the greatest program directors on the planet. And there's no one who will argue that with me. Um, Robin is the program director of KFI, the great, great talk station in Los Angeles. And she found on eBay an old strawberry shortcake radio and sent it to me. Wow. And I'm looking at it right now in my office, one of my prized possessions. Um, but that's kind of how it started for me, listening to my Uncle Al. And then fast forward, I'm 20 years old interning at WOR. And fast forward, you know, I, or rather I'm 21. And fast forward, the day after I graduate, I start full time. And... I mean, full circle. Um, but I was the the weird kid listening to talk radio in bed. And, and of course, I, I also listened to, you know, Z100 and, and PLJ. And, you know, I, I listened to everything that I could um, because to me, these were my friends. And then, you know, to work in a field that you've been so passionate about since you were six years old. How, how fortunate am I? Hmm. All the signs were there, I guess. <laughs> I suppose so. And and a lot of help from a lot of good friends. Hmm. Well, Heather, this has been fantastic. And I feel like we've just scratched the surface of your Hofstra stories. Uh, I have more questions. Let's set up a time and, and do this again, because I would love to hear more stories. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you for sharing your, your time. Oh, that's so kind of you. Thank you. And and Brian, thank you for what you do. I, you know, I, I know it's it's a tremendous amount of work, but speaking to all these people who are part of this tremendous family, um, you know, th- this is really important historical work that you're doing and also important for our future and, and for the students to listen to. Um, and I'm really, you know, I, I know that a lot of my friends feel this way as well. I just want to thank you for what you do. I recently listened to um, your interview with Lon uh, mm. about my dear, dear friend, Adam Geller, who passed away yeah. way too soon. Um, and, and we were fortunate to put Al, uh, Adam in, in the WRHU Hall of Fame, uh, what, about six weeks ago, two months ago, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, but listening to your interview with Lon, who was also one of Adam's dear friends, 
it just brought tears to my eyes. And, and this is, this is very special what you're doing. And I have to thank you for, for doing it for us. Um, and I know it's a labor of love for you, but it's, it's deeply, deeply appreciated.